We're going to begin this morning, the 15th chapter, with a very familiar passage to many of us. And as I have advised you before, there can be a danger in that. If we're familiar with a passage of Scripture, we often don't give it much attention. We assume we already know everything that is found in the Scripture. And it is not true. The depths of Scripture cannot be plumbed. And so I would invite you to give good attention to this text and what the Lord would tell us about the Lord Jesus Christ. Please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. John chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me... And my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. Lord, we ask this morning that you would open up your word to us, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would illuminate our minds Open our hearts and renew our wills that we would not only read your word, but that it would take deep root within us and that change would be affected in our lives. This we pray in Christ's precious name. Amen. How can we make it through life? Maybe you've asked yourself that question. If you've known the Lord Jesus Christ for any length of time, you know that believing on the Lord Jesus Christ does not make everything perfect. So does Jesus leave us on our own for us to figure things out? Do we have to make sure that we do everything right so that Jesus won't abandon us? Sometimes believers get caught up in this way of thinking. But Jesus gives us an image here. 
to encourage his disciples and us that when we abide in Jesus, we will bear much fruit. Jesus gives us this image and then he tells us the action we are to take and then the result that will follow. So I'd like us to see those three things in our text this morning. First, the image. Second, the action. And then third, the result. Let's begin then by looking at the image. Jesus begins by saying, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Now this is the last of the so-called I am statements in which Jesus has given us metaphors to describe himself. He described himself as the one needed for daily life by declaring himself the bread of life. And then he described himself as light in the dark world by saying, I am the light. And then he told us, I am the door, the one who protects his sheep and gives them a place to go. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And then just in the last chapter, we saw him say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now here, he is the vine. Now he uses another metaphor here that is easily understood by his disciples. Because they lived, as you know, in an agricultural economy. Almost every household was involved in some form of agriculture, whether it was with livestock or with plants or with a vine for grapes. You had to feed yourself. You had to be able to trade for others. And, and this is a little bit distant for us because I have to confess that my favorite way to find vegetables and livestock is under cellophane in a grocery store. So I don't have that same connection, but I think we can draw this picture for ourselves. That as they were getting up and leaving the upper room, you remember last week we saw at the end of chapter 14, Jesus said, rise, let us go from here. As they were going on their way to the garden, they would have easily seen vines all around them along the way. Perhaps Jesus even pointed as he said, I am the vine. Or it could be also that they remembered the great golden vine in the temple of God. But in any event, it is a very familiar image for them. Over 50 times it is used in the scriptures. But the first thing that I want you to notice is that Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now you'll recall, I said at the outset, take care that if you think you know a passage well, you may be missing something. And if I were a guessing man, I would say that you thought this passage was, I am the vine. That's how we speak about it. But that's actually not how Jesus begins. He says, I am the true vine. Now that doesn't mean that all other vines are false. But it does mean something very significant. It means that Jesus is the perfect, enduring vine. All other vines are merely a shadow, an image of his vine. And this should be easy for us to understand because 
Jesus has said similar things in John's Gospel when he talks about light and bread and the tabernacle. So he's using this metaphor, this image, but he is describing for us how it's so much more significant in himself. And this is also not just an agricultural phenomenon, this is a biblical phenomenon. The image of the vine is very often used of Israel in the scriptures. Israel is described as the Lord's vine or the Lord's vineyard. So, for example, in Psalm 80 we read, You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. But then we read a bit more darkly in Isaiah chapter 5, let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes. But it yielded wild grapes. Jeremiah says much the same in chapter 2. Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Now do you notice something here? Over and over again, this image of a vine, Israel as a vine, is a negative image. Israel was planted by God, but her fruit was bad. In case you don't know, you can't make wine from wild grapes. They don't yield drinkable wine. You need cultivated grapes. And so Israel was planted by God, but her fruit was bad. And so the call in the scriptures is for God's renewed favor to restore the vine. But here, we see Jesus not calling on the vine to make itself better. Or to produce better fruit. No, he is the true vine. He, the one who was despised of men, who was nothing to look at, who grew up out of dry ground, Isaiah says. He was the one who bore much fruit. He was declared by the Father to be his beloved Son, the Son of God in power. Jesus is the one who brings forth true fruit to the Father. He is all that we were meant to be. We can look at the Lord Jesus Christ and properly and correctly say that He is truly God. He is divine. But we dare not forget that He is also truly man. That He is the perfect man. That He obeyed His heavenly Father in every instance. That He kept every law that there was never sin brought to his account. He kept covenant perfectly. He is a picture of what we should have been in obedience and faithfulness. But the second thing we notice is that there is a vine dresser or a gardener. Jesus is the vine and the father is the vine dresser. The vine dresser was the one who would take care of the vine and would make sure, that it, make sure that it brought forth the most fruit. Now, we understand 
this image more as we see that Jesus is not alone as the vine. He has branches. And so the vine dresser cares for the vine in two ways. First, he clears away the dead wood that chokes the life out of the vine. Now you may even have done this around your own home. If you have a shrub or a plant or a tree that has limbs or branches that are dying, they can block out the sun from the healthy limbs. They can siphon off water and nutrients. They can just be a problem. And the way that you allow the healthy portion of the plant or the vine or the tree to grow is you have to break off the dead wood. That's why we call it dead wood. It's purposeless. It's actually harmful. And so the vine dresser clears that away. But he does something else as well. He, Jesus tells us, prunes the branches. Especially those branches that do not bear fruit. He prunes them that they may bear more fruit. And so what the vine dresser does is he works upon the branches that are alive and well so that they might be fruitful and multiply. Now we should not understand this image as putting the father against the son. This is once again, we see it over and over again in the Gospel of John, good Trinitarian theology. Jesus makes clear that he abides in the father and that the father abides in him. The goal of the Father and the Son is the same, that the branches would bear fruit to the glory of the Father. In verse 8. So who are these branches? Well, first of all, there are the branches that do not bear fruit. Look with me at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, we're not told exactly why they don't bear fruit. But there is some commonality here. It is every branch that doesn't bear fruit. Is Jesus talking about so-called carnal Christians who don't do as much as they could? Is he expressing something about the security of the Christian? That is, if you don't bear fruit, that means you're lost. I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at here. The key for this comes in verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Who does not bear fruit? Well, it's those who are apart from Jesus. It's those who aren't abiding in him. Not only do they not bear fruit, they cannot bear fruit. Now, some may think, That it is possible to be fruitful without Jesus. But that's just not the case, Jesus says. As a matter of fact, this is the story of the 20th century church. The 20th century church thought it had gotten past Jesus. That it had graduated from a more primitive Christianity. They didn't need a bodily resurrection. They didn't need a bloody cross. They didn't need... God become man. They just needed to roll up their sleeves and get to work and to do as much as they could. And of course, the answer to that is that it was a colossal failure. 
You can go right now, even in our city, in the city of Houston and other places, and see scores of churches that are empty, that have espoused this philosophy. They bear no fruit. They have no people. They have no witness. They have no gospel. But lest we look at this and say, oh, I'm so glad I'm not like those churches. We need to think about our own lives as well. We need to think about the vanity of our own work. If we think in our strength, we can accomplish things. That we don't always need Jesus. That we don't need to cling tightly to Jesus. That on our own, we are capable of bearing fruit. Well, the second kind of branches that Jesus describes are those that are pruned. Now, the word here for pruned in verse 2 often means cleaned or purified. We get our word catharsis from this. It is the Father removing anything that is harmful and detrimental to the branch. Now, what does that mean? It means removing that which is spiritually detrimental to the Christian's life. Let's get practical. It means bad habits are stripped away. It means bad theology is stripped away. It means bad associations and bad friends are stripped away. And we realize that that's painful. That God will do that. But what we have to know is that our Father loves us. And even though these times of pruning can be painful times, we can't see all things. We can't know this side of glory, the reason for everything that comes to us. And all of this, Jesus tells us, is done so that we might be cleansed, so that we might be fruitful. Now, how does God do this? What are the means that he uses? There are many means that God could use in your life. He could use the influence of others. He could use providence. He could even use Hard providences, like illness, or financial ruin, or a loss of a job, or hard relationships. But the main means that God uses is highlighted by Jesus right here in verse 3. Already you are clean. Now, I want you to notice the word clean there is a form of the same word for prune. It's a very closely related word. Already you are clean. Why? Because of the word that I have spoken to you. You see, the main means that God uses to prune us, to make us more alive, to make us more fruitful, is his word. That's why, if you didn't know, we emphasize the Bible here at Christ Church. That's why we preach the Bible. That's why we teach the Bible. That's why the Bible informs our fellowship and our outreach and our evangelism and everything we do because it is the means that God has given to us for our life and health and blessing. The second thing that I want us to look at is the action that Jesus calls us to. Jesus gives us The secret 
of fruitfulness. I'm going to let you in on a secret here. Do you want to be fruitful for the Lord? Do you want to live a life of blessing? Do you want to help others? Here's the secret in verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. That's the secret. Abiding in Jesus. Now, it's interesting because there are several ways that this statement in verse 4 can be taken. It could be taken as an indicative statement of fact. You remain in me, and I remain in you. Or it could be a promise. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Or it could be a command. Remain in me, and therefore... I will remain in you. I think there is a deliberate ambiguity here that Jesus is giving to us. I think there's a sense in which all three of these statements are true. Because Jesus' command relies on His promise. And Jesus' statement relies on His command. But one thing is absolutely certain. To bear fruit, we must Abide in Jesus. By ourselves, we are useless. Less than useless. It's not as if we simply bear less fruit by not abiding in Jesus. No, the truth of our relationship with Christ is that we are totally reliant upon Him. We bear no fruit apart from Him. Jesus tells us in verse 5, Apart from me, you can do nothing. How absolutist of Jesus. How unseeker sensitive of Jesus. But that's the truth. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. And so we must understand that while there is much work to be done, and while we may attempt it ourselves, all that waits is failure without Christ. So let me ask you, what are you focusing on? Are you focusing on what you can do for Jesus? All of the things you can accomplish that would please Jesus? Or are you focusing on Jesus? You see, that's where we have to begin. We can never let our eyes off of Jesus. I think there's also an encouragement built in this that is not easy to see. Because if You can do nothing apart from Jesus. What does that mean about the enemies of the gospel? Can the enemies of the gospel defeat the church? Can they defeat you? Can they defeat Jesus? Well, of course they can't, because what can they do? Nothing. They can do nothing apart from Jesus. Why? Because they're not in Christ. And so there's an encouragement there. Now, what does it mean to abide? Jesus is emphatic here. He uses the word abide ten times in this chapter. Abiding in Christ is first and foremost for those who are already in Christ. The challenge is for those who have already believed on Jesus. They've committed themselves to Jesus. The challenge is not whether we choose Jesus to be saved. Rather, it is how we live a fruitful life in Christ. And the order is crucial. 
we have Jesus first. And then we bear fruit. Now a second point would be that we must consciously choose to abide. We are placed in Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit. We have been seeing that over and over again. Our union with Christ is accomplished by the Lord who brings us from death to life and unites us with Christ. But there is also a sense in which we must live a life of conscious choices empowered by the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, we must abide in the words of Jesus. Look with me at verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. To follow Jesus is to love His Word. We cannot say that we love Jesus and disobey His teaching and His commands. Jesus puts them together. So what does this verse mean? The end of verse 7 says, Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So does that mean I can say, You know, Jesus, I want a brand new car. Where is it? Jesus, I want a million dollars. No, no, I want two million dollars. Where is it? Jesus, I want perfect health. You got to give it to me. Look, you said it. I'm going to show you. Chapter 15, verse 7. What, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Is this some sort of open sesame? Some sort of statement that can be used that binds Jesus? No. You can't just look at the second half of this verse. You've got to look at the first half. If you abide in me and my words in you, then you can ask. And what will you ask if you are abiding in Jesus' words? What will you ask if you are abiding in Jesus? You will ask according to his word. And you will not be abiding in Jesus' words if you pray to Jesus, I'm praying you will let me successfully rob this bank. That's not a John 15, 7 prayer. Because your words are not, Jesus' words are not abiding in you. You're not abiding in Jesus. Now, I want you to see here that there is a warning. In verses 5 and 7, we have calls to abide in Christ. And in between them, in verse 6, there is a warning given. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. This is what happens to those who say that they follow Jesus. But they have no desire to be with him. Or to listen to his word. So what happens to them? They're cast out and burned. Now I can tell you this, even though you know I am not much of a handyman. I can tell you that you cannot go today, or tomorrow, or Tuesday to Home Depot, and find two-by-fours made of vine wood. You can't do it. Because vine wood is all twisted and knotted. It's not useful for anything when it's dead. You can't build anything out of it. You don't even want to take vine wood and burn it in your fireplace because it burns too hot and it smokes too much. And so you won't have a good fire. Now, I did find out the Texans know how to do something with almost anything. And I was told that the one thing you can do with vine wood is you can barbecue with it because the smoke is good. 
Please, don't let that ruin the analogy. Because if I brought you a bunch of vine wood, you are not going to say, yippee. You're going to say, how do I get rid of this? And you burn vine wood because there's no other good way to get rid of it. It's useless. It's for nothing. Just so it is with someone who just wants to talk about Jesus without committing himself to Jesus wholly. Well, what happens then to the branch that abides in Jesus? What is the result? Jesus tells us that that branch will bear fruit, but what kind of fruit? Now, we, I think, would think first about the fruit that we could bring to Jesus. We could go on all kinds of mission trips. We could teach all kinds of children. We could talk to people about Jesus and get all kinds of commitments for Christ. We can go out and change the world for Jesus. But I don't think that's what Jesus has primarily in mind here. The best sense that we should take the fruit that Jesus is talking about is the biblical sense of fruit. And we find that primarily in Galatians chapter 5 where Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, patience, gentleness, kindness. The fruit that Jesus is talking about here is less about the stuff we do for Jesus and more about the growth in godliness that we experience by abiding in Christ. And that first fruit, of course, is love. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that the greatest of all is love. And this makes sense because Jesus actually begins with a declaration. I have loved you. We see that in chapter 13, verse 34. We see it in chapter 15, verse 12. I have loved you. We love because Jesus first loved us. And when we are united to Christ, we bear the fruit that he gives to us. This expression of love is the story of the Bible. God setting his love upon a people and then sending Jesus to become a man to show the extent of his love. And then Jesus showing the ultimate end of all that love. When he died for us. Jesus now calls us to continue or to abide in that love. Do you see it in verse 9? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And if we do so, we will be fruitful. I think a second result a fruit is obedience. It's linked to love. Look with me at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. We show our love to God by hearing and obeying His word. Our obedience is a sign of our love, of our commitment, of our indwelling. Obedience after all, is a challenge, isn't it? We hear that as a hard word. You know, especially the young people here. Our young people, I imagine you think, I know I did when I was your age, that mom and dad, their only job in life is to come up with more things for you to obey and do. Right? 
Well, I want to tell you something. Mom and dad have people that tell them what to do and how to obey. We can't escape it. And if we think about it, even though obedience is hard, disobedience is what makes us least like Jesus. It makes us most like sinners. And for this reason, Jesus continually emphasizes our need for obedience. Over and over in this section, he emphasizes it. In chapter 14, verse 15, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In verse 21, he says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Here in verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And then, In verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Do you see Jesus linking love and obedience together? Don't think about what you think is right. Listen to Jesus. Jesus is telling us that when we obey, we are being most like him. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in His love. If we want to be fruitful and abide in Jesus, we must follow and be like Jesus. The last result of this is joy. We see that in verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus wants us to be sure that we know that by abiding in Him, by loving Him, and obeying Him, that will bring about joy. Now that is the exact opposite of what the world will tell you every single day. The world will tell you if you want to be happy, if you want to be free, you must reject God. You must reject the Bible. You must reject rules. You must reject authority. You must be your own person. Brothers and sisters, that's why we have a mental health crisis in America today. That's why we have people who are miserable. It's because they think they're going to find joy Outside of Christ. And Jesus is telling you it's so simple. It's not about how much money you have. It's not about how many children you have. It's not about what kind of job you have. It's are you abiding in me? And if you abide in me, you'll have joy. Do you want the joy of Jesus in you? then be his disciple and abide in him. Jesus wants your joy to abound, to be full. He doesn't want you to have a little bit of joy. He wants your joy to be full. He wants your joy to spill out over the cup, down across the counter, all over the floor when you abide in him. Jesus is telling you today that you can bear much fruit. You can be a blessing to your family, your church, and those around you. But the only way to do that is to stop trying to do it yourself and to stay close to Jesus. And Jesus is challenging you today if you have not trusted in him.
You may think that you are fooling others, but you cannot fool Jesus. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, your end is to be cast away. There is no better time to come to Jesus than right now. Believe in Him. Trust that He will save you from your sins and make you bear much fruit. What Jesus is giving you today is a promise. Listen to Him. And your joy will be full. Let's pray.